0: Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded and you know as as we have done it in recent days, recent months, at various places around the New York City metropolitan area. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic PW's twice uh twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Uh Check us out online at PublishersWeekly dot com slash comics.
1: And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast
2: producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com.
0: And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld.
1: And don't forget to leave us a rating, let us know how we're doing, rate us on YouTube, send us a note, just give us some feedback because we're all sitting here craving it. So, uh, well, this week, a very special episode of, um, More to Come. Uh, we are joined by retailer extraordinaire Brian Hibbs. Brian, how's it going?
3: Very good. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm real excited to talk to you guys. You, from San Francisco, not from the New York area. Yes, yes, yes,
0: that's right. <laughs> that's right. We've added a territory to our, our phone call this week.
1: So <coughs> Brian is the owner of the Comics Experience, uh, two stores in this uh, the Bay Area. He's also a columnist for me at Comics Beat with his very long-running Tilting at Windmills column in which he lays it all out for the comic book world, just what the issues for retailing are. Um, and in his last column, uh, we discussed it quite a bit, actually, on our last episode of More to Come. He had a pretty dire outlook of DC Comics, and after listening to it, Brian, uh, you suggested that maybe we should just talk to you instead of speculating about your thoughts. <laughs>
3: yeah, kind of kind of something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we thought, uh, let's get him on the show, and we can talk, uh, just ask him, ourselves so here we go and everybody's got some questions we've been working on them all week so be ready (laughs) but first off we wanted to just know you know how is the store doing I mean in the pandemic we're nine months in California is headed for another lockdown or in another lockdown but you know in general how has the store been surviving during this uncertain time
3: yeah, it's been it's been rough, you know. Uh I think like almost any uh store in a major metropolitan area uh with with lockdowns and restrictions. Uh you know, there's just uh, a large percentage of your customers who who you would normally have coming out are just don't want to make the trek into this. Uh so we've been down by about a third uh at both stores. Um Uh, and that's really hard. You know, you've got to make a lot of adjustments. Thankfully, both my landlords have been very willing to work with me. Um, we've, we're working on lower rent right now. Um, you know, uh, and thankfully we've got the robust proof novel, the month clubs, which is really generating, um, you know, the thing that's helping me, you know, keep my staff paid. We, we have been lucky enough Uh, with those clubs that uh, we have not had to reduce wages or reduce hours for any staff member whatsoever.
0: Wow, that's That's amazing! Yeah. Fantastic.
1: Well,
0: well, you know, you you mentioned the Graphic Novel Club, and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about it.
3: Yeah, sure. So we actually – there's actually three distinct Graphic Novel of the Month clubs. Um, One is aimed at kids. It's a middle reader club. Um and in all of the clubs what we do is, is we, we curate uh a, a, what we think is the best book of that month um for the for the for the first two clubs it'll be that month and i 'll talk about the other one in a minute um and we um uh we uh, we pick the book we Uh, Do a live stream interview with the creators, and uh, depending on the club, you get some other level of swag. So for the kids' club, for example, uh, we make a a button and a magnet every month. Um, So that way, not only are the the kids able to get the graphic novels, but they can build up a collection over time of buttons and magnets. It's kind of fun. Um, Yeah,
1: button and magnet collection, Wow. (laughs) Yeah, with. yeah, no, right? you it's, it's starting <laughs> starting
3: people out on collecting, but in a very low stakes kind of way, you know. Um, uh, then we have the you know sort of the the uh, adult graphic novel of the month club, um, where we're always picking a new graphic novel, um, and that comes with a signed book plate by the uh, by the creative team. Uh, and then finally we have uh, what we just started this one this year, the classic graphic novel of the month club, because as I said, originally we're, we're doing each, you know, we're, we're picking a book for each month. Uh, but with, you know, at, but what that meant was that things that came out not last month, we we weren't able to cover. Uh, and so I wanted to have the ability To say, talk to some, you know, talk to Bendis about Ultimate Spider-Man, or talk to Mark Wade about Kingdom Come, Uh, and so that's what the Classic Club is for—kind of the history of of comics.
0: Actually, this sounds great.
1: Yeah, fantastic.
3: You know, yeah, I I think I I think I think they're pretty awesome, actually. And you know, (laughs) if if people are uh, if people are interested, it's www.graphicnovelclub.com. (laughs) <laughs>
0: and right.
1: remember, there's magnets and buttons.
3: That's right.
0: And well, yep. it's obviously a great commercial uh, option for you, but it also, uh, really, you're educating uh, the marketplace and your fans and, and the fans that come in, you know, about this medium.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, and it, I mean, I'll tell you this: you know, the great part for me is that it, it, it. Not only is it is it a good thing to keep my my staff employed, but uh, but you know, for me personally, it's it's really re injected me with a lot of vigor for. This business, being able to talk to, you know, three different uh, creative teams every month, uh, talk about comics, to talk about craft, to talk about what makes comics different than other media, um, what the challenges of them are, have facing the blank page. I love talking to artists about facing the blank page because, you know, I've done at this point, I've done approximately 175 interviews, something like that, and I have never gotten the same answer twice <laughs> to how do you make comics. Um, which, which I, you know, I do not think is true in any other media. I think you get a lot of overlap in other media, but in comics, people approach it completely differently, and it's and it's the strength of the form.
0: Great. All right. So hey, let's. So let's lob some questions at Adam.
2: Okay. So, quite frankly, let's let's go back to first principles here. Um, how would you describe DC's current moves? What do you think is going on and why?
3: Yeah, well, those are are two different questions, really. Um, uh, How would I describe their moves would be, to me, short-sighted and foolish. Um, (laughs) Look, so so let me start with this first principle. The direct market, uh, well, that is selling directly to the network of independent comic book stores. Mm -hmm. Um, While it is a wonky and weird market in a lot of ways, the number one and number two publishers, that is Marvel and DC, basically are not able to not make money on publishing a book. It is basically impossible for them to lose money on a book. Um, now, that doesn't mean they can't publish something really stupidly, and, and you know, but as long as they're thinking even slightly okay, absolutely everything that they publish is virtually guaranteed to pay back all of its costs before they even get to the graphic novel format, Okay. The serialization uh, pays for those costs, um, again, unless they do something really dumb. So to me, it seems absurd to do anything to weaken that market if you are one of those two publishers. Now, obviously, other publishers have a different economic picture, but Marvel and DC, like, w- there's no other medium that I can think of or no other market that I can think of where you're for sure – Going to earn back your money unless you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, right? So, I mean,
3: it, that doesn't okay, happen I in think- prose, that doesn't happen in film, that doesn't happen anywhere else. So, um, uh, to weaken the market as they are by essentially firing all of the people who work uh, on the direct market side of things and announce outright that they're looking to increase digital at what we assume is the expense of the direct market because of the other moves that they're making, just seems foolhardy in the extreme to me.
2: Okay, so I I think that, that does answer some of the questions, but I think what I was actually trying to go for is uh, I wanted to, people who maybe are from the moon or have been cut off from their computers or completely absorbed in politics for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I was more going for what has DC done?
0: The scenario okay, so, that you described in tilting with windmills, with their, the distribution, yeah. the, you know, all of these things that, yeah. that they seem to be abandoning.
3: Yeah. yeah. So um, I think that there has been for quite a long amount of time a, a group of people at D.C. who think that gas is greener in other markets and that they think that they can do better in other markets than they do in the direct market. Um, I don't think they're correct, but I I believe that this is the thinking up there. Um, And I think that it appears that with the moves that AT&T has has moved to, uh, you know, cut everybody uh, across the board at Warner Brothers Companies, um, uh, that group of people use this opportunity to try to make the big move. Did did that answer the question sufficiently? No.
1: I, I think, uh, I mean, I think what really, uh, Kate's trying to get at is just, you know, this pandemic response that DC has had with first, you know, cutting their distributor, uh, you know, launching two new distributors, pardon, pardon me, uh, then cutting off Diamond, their long-term distributor, uh, then with two successive rounds of layoffs, with each layoff, laying off more and more of the people who were directly involved with the direct market, uh, you know, such as Vince Loterio, uh, very long time, DC employee yep. you know 30 plus years. Uh, you know Brian, isn't it kind of true though that that the people that were laid off like Vince Lottero, Adam Phillips, uh, Stuart Shrek, um, like these people had been there for a really long time. I mean they were kind of like you know pillars of the direct market, correct?
3: In many ways, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think the uh, of of the group of people that you just mentioned, Stewart's probably the baby of the group. at, I think (laughs) twenty plus years. Yeah. Yes. You know,
1: (laughs) the newcomer.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know, and it was a really long time ago. I mean, absolutely. Um, You know, but but again, they seem to think that they're going they're going to sell a lot of copies of digital comics, which
1: there just isn't any evidence
3: to support. Is the problem
0: well uh, you are you, probably well first of all you're right about that i'm, I'm going to jump in here because what i'm curious I, i'm curious if you make a distinction between um the former leadership of dc as a print uh, you know as we have known it and uh higher level uh, corporate leadership at warner media um as far as their support of the print side of the business because my point is this is that digital, and, and i agree with you digital it really one of the points you made in in your article digital is it's just never going to equal uh print sales it, it never has it never will um uh certainly in the prose industry digital first is generally aimed at finding new uh titles easily that can be turned into print um uh, do you think that this is part of uh perhaps Warner media's strategy which i think is is uh Withdrawing support from the direct market and, and actually putting its bet on the book trade and the ability of digital to generate new uh, print project, uh, uh, projects, uh, what do you think of that scenario?
3: Yeah, I mean I think, I think that's the scenario that they're positing, but I, I don't believe that that scenario actually exists in the actual real world that we actually really live in, right? Like I, that to me sounds like something that someone who doesn't really understand how the market works – or what people's or what the buyers' motivations in the market are uh, going well, but if we do this, you know, my 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 uh, you know my my, my business class uh, in college told me that here's what our result will be. I, I just don't think that it, it, that's going to match what reality is, though, for the particular way that our market is structured. Particularly, and I, and I really want to stress this. For DC Comics, right? Like, mm-hmm. If we were talking about Image or, or some other publisher, we'd be having a very different conversation. But for DC and Marvel, I'm going back to my first principle of the way you make money in this business as a DC or Marvel is in the direct market with that captive audience and the network of stores that are dedicated literally to your products not the medium of comics as much as i might like that as mm-hmm. you know i wish more of my fellow retailers were dedicated to the medium of comics but they're not the overwhelming majority of people who own a comic book store own a comic book store not because they love comics per se but because they want to have a clubhouse that they can hang out in <laughs> that happens to be branded either DC Comics or Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. because that's the thing that they like. They like the Marvel Universe. They like the DC Universe. Literally nine out of my peers, the reason they own a store is because they like Marvel Comics or they like DC Comics. Surprise. And, of course,
0: the legacy of of of, of continuity and, uh, as you put it in the story, soap, uh, soap opera superhero – uh, uh yeah. episodic
1: stories. yes but I'm sorry so, Heidi, go ahead. yeah so you know i'm so i'm I'm going off our question list here but you know so okay ryan which i you know i get this and i understand this um and my question is though i i, I mean if somebody comes in from outside our little world which our world is very very special and very well, you know the comics world is very clubby you know and they look at all these retailers who are doing it out of love—I mean, we see the value in it—but sometimes it's kind of hard to make a business, a, you know, a business argument for that. I mean, do you think that that's something that? Do you think that something that was really a strength of the in- industry became a weakness in the eyes of of these executives?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, in your eyes, yeah. yeah. I just the thing is is I don't think it's actually a weakness. I think. I think that the reason that they think it's a weakness is because they can't exploit it in the way that they want to possibly exploit it, right? So uh, I'll, I'll back it up a couple of steps there. Let's go back to the last DC reboot, the New 52, right? Mm-hmm. New 52 worked really, 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 really well at first, Okay. Hundreds of thousands of copies of those books sold. We had what we call civilians in the trade coming in going, oh, I heard that Batman started over again. Can I jump in at the beginning? People were really into it at first. Uh, but then they realized that they were trying to publish 52 comics when they didn't have 52 ideas. They had maybe yeah. a dozen ideas or 20 ideas, right? But instead they were publishing 52. And, and the populace went, well, wait, I don't want this. This is not what I want, right? I firmly, emphatically, with every part of my being, believe that if Marvel or DC put an actual focus into, into reaching the civilians uh, uh, with their most popular characters – that they could do it and we could sell a million copies of of every periodical issue of Batman and Spider-Man and Superman, not every single title in the line, but the big characters that everybody knows about. If DC and Marvel learned how to keep it in their pants and not abuse their relationship um, with their their customers, um, I I think we would be doing a very different world. We would live in a different world. And when I say abuse, I mean things like there are – Somewhere between 10 and 20 different Batman-branded comic books every single month. Even the biggest Batman fan in the world does not want that many comic books. They just do not. Okay, the same is true at, at at Marvel you know there at one point there was i think one month there was twenty seven Spider man comics that came out I mean it's great that spider man's your best selling character, but all that happens with with twenty seven books featuring the same guy is you you divvy your your own audience up, you chop them up into little pieces, and you make it so that so that everybody's making less money off of it you know uh, it's it's not the right way to approach it in my mind. <laughs>
0: nothing exceeds like excess yeah um uh oh, less we'll, is more i mean that's that's it you, less yes, is more yes sure sure of course uh, who's, oh, who's next i, 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 I tri-
1: Heidi, oh, go ahead uh, well i i i mean i'm just wondering how you see the rest of the milieu for for periodicals in your store i mean i agree with you it's obvious that dc is trying to uh get, you know they're trying to eliminate the periodical distribution you know periodicals from distributing to comic shops but i mean how do you feel like marvel has been doing do you think they have similar plans have they been holding up their sales during the pandemic
3: i mean so far not really they 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 didn't publish some of the lower selling books at the height of stores being shut down which made a lot of sense i mean you know you you don't if you're If you're publishing a uh, hundred titles a month, you know maybe you only should be publishing fifty while half the stores are closed down you know um but basically everything that they announced back then they're they're now putting into print now um so it at most was a pause there i at this moment in time, I don't see any particular evidence that that Marvel is trying to get out of the periodical game. I think that they understand. How the math of it works, and and why the math of it is valuable to them, and 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 how and how it creates value for them to exploit later in IP, right? Like you have this 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 idea generation machine that the direct market, the periodical side of the direct market is that pays for itself. You can you can try you can run anything up the flagpole. And you're gonna get paid for doing it. There's no other world in which that lives in, and and I just uh, I, I just don't I don't understand why you would walk away from that personally, um, and I and again I don't think that that Marvel is right now. I, I think DC is, uh, and I and I don't I can't I can't figure it out. Other than they have some sort of a cul- corporate culture of we don't want to deal with two and a half thousand individual retail accounts. We want to deal with four people.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I'm going to jump in if, if that's okay. Um, I mean, I, I, the basic question I guess I want to ask now is, I mean, because from the points you make in in your column, I mean, the, the you know, the, the lack of support for what this, the series code data the loss of institutional memory that Heidi mentioned uh, that clearly Warner leadership is backing away from the print side uh, there, and, and they, they don't seem interested in superhero continuity. Uh, I mean is this the – how damaging would it be to the direct market for DC to essentially abandon it?
3: Uh, yeah, well, so I mean, if, if the dire thing happens, if DC goes away in a year or two, um, which, which I fundamentally think is we're on the path for right now. <laughs> yes. If, if that happens, if, if everybody else doesn't really get their shit together in the next year, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a bad problem, I think. Because, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, there are a lot of stores that can absorb the loss of, let's say somewhere between fifteen and forty percent of their sales. Yeah. You know? I mean this is a pillar um,
0: of the direct market we're talking about.
3: Yeah. No, ab- absolutely. And so and, and but the problem is, right, is that it's like it's like a Jenga tower, right? You know, you pull that one brick out and, and you think, oh well that one brick is fine, but it makes the whole structure unsafe. And it makes it it it's D C doing this actually threatens image and threatens boom and threatens – all the other publishers down the line who are dependent upon the direct market system actually functioning in a profitable way. If you take away one of the two largest publishers, there's a reasonable chance the whole thing will completely fall apart. Now I'm hoping that my peers are smart enough uh, to, to recognize what is happening in slow motion in front of their eyes and to start doing the things that they need to do in their stores to start diversifying the number of publishers they're, they're supporting to, you know, to, to use the returnable programs, for example, uh, at Boom or at, at Image, um, to, to cultivate new audiences, to do the things that you need to do, but that's an open question of whether it will happen. Wow.
2: So if DC wants to reduce their footprint in the direct market and maximize the book trade market and the digital market. What do you think would have been a smarter, less disruptive way to accomplish that?
3: Well, I don't see the thing is I think you can grow the digital side and the bookstore side without sacrificing one thing in the direct market, right? The direct market is, is, is a, a unit that functions that, that it, like I say, it, it, you, you basically cannot lose money serializing a comic book if you're DC Comics, okay? so So why not do that and then make digital and, and the book market additive to, to those efforts. That, that, that's, the, the, and that's the way that they proceeded for many years up until now. You know, I guess they're just not getting a big enough return on their investment, but I don't see how this is going to, to lead there. You know, people, the people who, who buy superhero comics are not interested in, in buying digital comics that we can see. Like literally the evidence does not exist in any way, shape, or form, that people who buy that continuity-heavy stuff want to do that at all uh, if they don't own the book as a physical object. Um, And if you think you can change that, I mean, cool, man, but you've been trying for 15 years now, right? This is not our first time at this particular rodeo. It has never grown. I I guess the only thing that I can... Logically infer is that someone there thinks that if you kill the direct market, then people will have no choice but to buy digital. But I don't think that that's how it's going to work at all—not so, even a little.
1: So, Brian, and, and you know, yeah. again, you know, you—you you, you know, you're right. You call them for uh, my site, so you know, we have some lively conversations about all of these topics. And you know, I'm just kind of musing here as you're talking because I. You know, I, I I know that retailers complained and complained about Diamond, and then DC left Diamond, and then it was like, oh no, how can this happen? And I know that there's so many, I, I, there's so many complaints about DC among retail. I mean, retailers love to complain, isn't that correct? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yes. sure. It's, it's our it's
3: our livelihoods. It's our it's our livelihoods. Right. It's yeah. our livelihoods. No, People deal. playing dice with our livelihoods. So, yes. so of course I, we're going to complain. I,
1: I know, yeah. and I I mean I'm I'm kind of I think you know I'm wondering if part of this was just again some suits who aren't part of our little world. You know, just looking at these. You know, I know there was a Facebook. Did they shut down the Facebook group? Right? Wasn't there a DC? Sure did. Re, yeah, and they yep. shut that down. And, uh you know, I'm wondering if somebody just looked at all these complaints and was like, oh, well, you know, this will show them. <laughs> I mean, it just, it just, you know, I just get the feeling from my own conversations that, that I, it, there was kind of a feeling like, oh, this is so much work. And uh people thought it just wasn't worthwhile, which as you're saying, it actually is worthwhile, but, you know, it just... I don't know. It's a bad situation. I guess it's not even a question. Yeah, no, I mean, I,
3: I, I, really, I really, you know, suspect that you are correct, Heidi, that someone thought this seems like too much work. Uh, but, again, it's not. When you actually do the math and start trying to figure out how you make books and how you do them profitably, um, you know, amortizing the cost of production uh, on, on the back of a hardcover graphic novel as a graphic novel, only project almost never works, you know, and, and on the rare occasions that it does, it's because you've got some sort of superstar art team or, or writing, uh, you've got some sort of external thing driving that, but, but for your rank and file mid list, uh, kind of books, it, it, just simply doesn't work. The math isn't there. You know. Even even when you look at uh you know uh something like Batman in in, in the uh in the at the book scan at the bookstore market, um uh you know that, that Batman damned, the, the Azzarello book with the Bat penis, um yes. sold like fifteen thousand yes. copies in, in, in the bookstores. You know? The next best selling uh Batman graphic novel in, in twenty nineteen uh was like volume nine of the Tom King run which sold like Twelve thousand copies mm-hmm. you know if you don't have if you don't have the serialization selling over a hundred thousand copies of those single issues, then you cannot produce that work for the door market in the way that you are right now. You would have to add five to ten to fifteen dollars to the cover price of each of those books mm-hmm. and I don't think that the bookstore market is especially looking for forty dollar original graphic uh, novels for batman right so i also don't think I also don't you know, think. Know. Yeah. Right. Not in most cases. Right. And I also don't think that the bookstore market is looking for uh, three new Batman graphic novels every single month. Right. Like the numbers don't support that as a factual statement. Right. They're looking for one or two Batman graphic novels a year. That's all
1: they want. And, and also, I mean just to kind of back up your point, I mean to me like one of the absolutely most in- ridiculous things about all of this is that DC closed down their black label line which was selling gangbusters, you know? Yep. Like like Batman Dam was part of that despite you know, the Batman's Todger problem. I mean, the book sold very well and continues to sell. And all of their black label titles have, have done great. And yet they shut that down. So, you know, there's just there's something punitive going. I, I've said, all oh, lot, there's something punitive going on there. It's not really based on, you know, business sense. Or if not punitive, then some branding idea that, you know. Yeah, is, I think or, there's, there's a
0: business, business culture a clash i mean it, it,
3: it is, I, so that that's part of it too but i i think i think that the branding part of it might be much more the big part of it i think i think that there are factions at dc and and perhaps i don't know for a fact cuz i don't really know anything other you know the same things that we all know but it looks to me like pam lifford's you know who's who's the 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 head of dc uh and and her you know her her her. uh her title is something like branding and consumer experiences. Right. So I think that she looks at Batman penis and goes, this is not something that we can ever, ever, ever do. Um, not realizing that, that Batman's bigger and stronger than that. And you don't, it's not, you don't have to aim it at the lowest possible denominator. In fact, the very strength of Batman is going outside of those boundaries. When you keep Batman in those boundaries, um, you, yet generally yield very uninteresting content. And when the content's not good, no one really fucking cares, right? It's only when things can be edgy, at least, you know, to whatever the current standard of edgy is. You know, there's there's a reason, in other words, that Batman The Dark Knight Returns is still one of their best-selling books 25 or 30 years later, uh you know and that's an edgy book you know mm-hmm. it, it, it it flirts with some really dark ideas in it
1: mm-hmm. um and the killing joke uh, oh, is another and the, one of yeah, the best and that's dollars. what
0: black label was kind of set up to do to 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 hopefully exactly. create more books like this that sort of transcend the continuity
2: so yeah. given the conditions of the pandemic and the possibly shrinking funding and staffing levels what strategy would you recommend to a comics company that isn't DC to help them weather this storm
3: that isn't DC, uh, because obviously well, DC you know, has I,
2: chosen their method, and they're also one of sure. the big two. So what's open to them is not open to everybody else. But
3: yeah, sure. So so if if I'm if I'm an Image or a Boom or a publisher like that, you know, um, I'm going to be working as close as I can with the direct market as much as I can to make sure that I'm driving those sales up front to amortize the cost so that when you get to the back end, and, and relatively speaking, the graphic novel becomes the back end then, right, um, uh, that you're in the best possible position to succeed. Because the thing that I've noticed over the years is that when we're talking about things that originated in the graphic novel, uh, sorry, in the direct market, um, bookstores almost always are are supporting this in in the strongest possible way the stuff that has succeeded in the direct market, right? It's, and things things that don't do well in the direct market almost never do well in the bookstore market. And again, I think it's because because that class of retailer doesn't have a tremendous amount of knowledge or time to figure out how comics work. So the easiest thing to do is go, well, that did really well in this end of the market. We should see if it can do well over here. Right but and so and, and so the more you the more you strengthen the direct market and, and again I would say that and again publishers like Boom and Image are doing a at Vault's so another really good example of this, where they're basically making all of their comics returnable into the direct market, uh and they're giving us the marketing support uh that we need and want um, in order to, to try and sell more copies of these books.
2: Yeah, but I guess where I'm going, what I was really asking about is in this situation, right, with the pandemic, with the fact that maybe a publisher can't afford to keep as many people on staff. Maybe they can't run as many books as they normally would run. How can they do that in such a – how can they survive this contracted market situation, this artificially contracted market due to the pandemic? Like how – obviously you're saying, you know, speak to the the retailers – you know, try to okay. drive sales the retailers, but how how would you do that? How would you do that on a reduced so, so, budget? So the funny staffing? thing
3: is, the funny thing is, is the thing that I hear from smaller publishers really consistently over the last couple of months is their sales have gone up during this time, not down.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Because again, they're 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 focusing much clearer on on their strengths rather than trying the shotgun approach. The, the shotgun approach is is the thing that kind of has never really worked in the, in the direct market is the problem. You know, we need sniper rifles, not shotguns. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, I've heard from Image. I've heard from Boom. I've heard from Vault. I've heard from Dynamite. All of these publishers that have been working with the direct market in a greater way, making books returnable, they, every one of them is telling me, Uh, I don't think they're blowing smoke, right? Because we're not we're not talking on the record, and we're just talking. Um, And they're saying, no, no, our sales are up. We're doing really well right now. Um, I mean,
0: that's uh, happening in the larger book market as well. I mean, the 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 pandemic has not necessarily hurt, uh, you know, the book, or I would say, or the comics market, in the sense that um, consumers want content now and they need it badly.
2: So when you talk about the sniper rifle instead of the shotgun. What's a good example of what that would look like? What's a good example of the sniper rifle as opposed to the shotgun? <laughs> yeah,
3: really so, so here's here's just, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know if this is like fully thought out as the best possible example, but off the top of my head, um, Keanu Reeves is doing a comic with Boom called Berserker. Now, it hasn't come out, it actually got postponed. But uh, they, they launched it with a Kickstarter, uh, uh, but where they were literally using the the Kickstarter to direct people to the direct market as well. Right. And so using Facebook and things like that, where you have the ability to micro target, uh, advertising and promotion, um, and you can match buyers, sellers seems to me as the wisest possible thing that you can do right now. Boom, for example, has, has a network of stores. Uh, it's called the boom guarantee program. I think is, if Ross will kill me, I probably got that wrong, but, um, Uh you know, they have a they have a list of I think it's something approximately two hundred and fifty stores somewhere in there. It's about ten percent of the market. And these are stores that have signed up to go, we're gonna stock your books and we're gonna keep them in stock. And so then as a publisher, you then know I can send customers to these stores. The more you, you the more you square those circles, the more you make those ties directly between the consumer and and your reseller. Uh, uh, the, the the stronger everybody gets in the middle, and now, is this and program of, you know, DC both, and Marvel have both, been passively doing this with 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 their with their universes, right? It's kind of passively been been doing this, but I'm talking about like getting out in front and, and trying to do it in a much more active way, and so, right. that's that's the way you succeed, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Is this program both uh, periodicals and books?
3: Uh yeah, so it's um it's all periodicals at Boom, and it's selected graphic novels. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not it's we'll, not the entire the- line of books. Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, Brian, one of the things that we've also talked about in the podcast quite a bit, though, and I do think part of what you're talking about with this and why the publish- publishers have you know been able to actually do better is that everybody has significantly upped their digital game, you know, of their storefronts, their ability to find things, discovery, digital discovery. I mean, do you see that as part of, you know, what we've learned during the pandemic? I I mean, I know we've gone on and on about Comic Hub and, you know, a lot of people like Comic Hub, think it's, you know, a, a viable option. But uh, which is a, kind of a pre yeah no I think
3: service. I think some of its tools are fantastic I mean I think some of its tools are, are amazing I just don't like it as a point of sale system is the only problem I, I just don't think it's a good you know back end managing running a store kind of tool but um, for the people that it works for that's that's fantastic I mean yeah I, I have a digital store where I didn't have a digital store a year ago um, you know my open question is is that digital store actually paying its way it's not a hundred percent clear to me that that's the case. Um, But certainly in the pandemic, I have gotten smarter about, you know, how, for example, how I advertise the graphic novel clubs and, and, you know, uh, so every retailer out there is getting smarter. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that I would really want to underline here is that I believe just sort of on a fundamental level that uh, independent businesses are more nimble and more able to adapt and more uh, quick to pivot and make the changes that they need. Um, uh, and so therefore, you know, I think that independent comic book stores and independent bookstores are, if If I was in the publishing world, that's where I would be focusing on i wouldn't be focusing on amazon amazon's going to do what it's going to do i wouldn't be focusing on what remains of the chains because they're big and bulky and unwieldy, but it's the independent stores where if you get a person working at that store who gets behind the work that you're publishing, that's worth more than almost anything because they're hand selling that book they're actually in people 's faces as it were. You know, telling them no. This is a great book. I love this book. This is what the graphic novel club is for me, right? This is the book that each month. I, this is the comic that I am the most excited by, and I think it comes across to people, you know. And I think it helps to sell more books as a result. Um, and I don't think that that uh, I don't think that that scales, right? Um, uh, a- Amazon does really well at selling a lot of things, but it, it doesn't do very well at. Actually, personalizing things, even though it pretends that it does.
0: Uh, Brian, can you give us a break? I mean, what's your breakdown at your store between uh, periodical comics and, and graphic novels, and, and also on top of that, going forward, looking into the future, what do you think your customers will want—books or or traditional comics?
3: Well, I think I think both, right? Because they serve they serve different functions and they mm. touch different needs, right? Like, so look, the thing I always try to make clear to people is that is that potentially a periodical in, in sort of the short term one first year or two period um, is likely to sell somewhere between 10 and 30 times what that same thing is going to sell as a graphic novel. Right. So a $4, uh, the it's a three ninety nine 99 uh, issue of saga is going to sell a lot better uh, than a, you know, a $15 saga trade paperback that doesn't have the periodical leading. And as I saw, I picked the wrong example because Saga is a very strong book in in book Mm one. But if you look at, like, your average um, uh, uh, creator-owned image comic, you know, um, you sell significantly more copies of those periodicals uh, to significantly more people, right? And I'm of the mind that selling to more people is a healthier thing in the long run, right? Because a certain percentage of those people will then go, I'm gonna proselytize this book, or I'm gonna buy it again in a different format, or I'm gonna buy it again in three different formats, right? Like, oh, it's in paperback, then it's in hardcover, then it's in deluxe hardcover. I'm gonna buy them all because I'm I'm you know supporting this in a way. It doesn't happen when you go book first, right? When you go book first, people go, Oh, I have the ultimate edition already, there's nothing else for me to buy. If that made any sense, I don't I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um well then so yeah, so I, you know again, you know if if you, when you launch a comic, uh, and I, when we we go back to the to that to that Batman example, right? You know, sold fifteen thousand copies of of the book in the bookstores, probably about an equal number to the comic bookstores. stores. So let's call it thirty thousand copies there. Um, it sold over a hundred thousand copies. I, I don't have the number at the top of my head, but it sold at least triple it, to, to as serialized comic. Mm. It, that's good, right? You want that? You want to get to as many people as you possibly can, don't you? Okay. Oh, of course. Now,
0: do you would you rather not make the breakdown? I mean, do you sell? Is thirty percent of your business uh, graphic novels? Oh yeah. Okay.
3: So it depends on. I have two stores, right? I have two locations, right. mm-hmm. and they're they're both kind of focused in different ways. One's book focused, and one's periodical focused. Inter- oh, that's the, interesting. The, yeah. the book the book focused store is basically 60-40 books, and the periodical focused store is basically 60-40 comics. Okay. <laughs>
0: Well, then let me ask you – Very very roughly. How do you see – I mean we understand uh, uh, your understanding of the market and your understanding of of comics publishing, but but you're still faced with this dilemma of what the hell is DC doing uh, and where do they see this taking this, and do they even care? Uh, Is there a future – can there be a future? And Maybe this is a variation of the other question I asked. Uh, as uh, comic shops as essentially independent bookstores, um, uh, uh, how uh, what's your take on that?
3: Well, I mean, I think I think comic stores are already essentially independent bookstores, just with a particular focus. Uh, you know, and that focus isn't as narrow as as maybe you know the uh, the zeitgeist seems to think it is, right? Like comic shops are not all I don't know, like the comic shop on The Big Bang Theory or something, mm-hmm. right? Like you've got comic shops that are very pop culture focused. You've got comic shops that are very back issue focused and collector focused. You've got comic shops that are that are more gaming focused. You know, you've got you've got a lot of things within that ecosystem, and I think it's it's actually the thing that makes it. Really Really such a healthy and strong ecosystem, relatively speaking, is that it, it's got a lot of different facets and a lot of different uh, niches that are all, you know, viable within it. Um, you know, one of the things I, I like to say uh, is that you know I don't really think that really any two comic book stores are very much the same. You know, if you if you go around town uh, and 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 you go from you go from Hanley's to Midtown to I don't know who to Desert Island, you know. Each of those stores is different they they stock different things in different i mean they're still all comic shops right but they're but they're very different it's not it's not like it is say in uh, if you go to to the ben- band stores in paris right like uh, what I found when I was in Paris that every single one of those stores looked identical they all had identical products, all basically dis- you know uh displayed in identical ways and and it was a very it was a very um uh uh, a flat kind of culture, even though even though comics are more popular in France than they are in America, uh, there, right? Yes. But in America, each one of those stores is different, and each one of them is going to focus on the thing that makes them them,
1: are you which talking, I think ultimately is healthier. Are you talking, Brian, about the stores that sold American products or the ones that were like you know French? No, no, the Bande Sonet stores, specifically yeah, the Bande yeah. stores. Yeah. Well look, uh, I, I
0: have I have one last question uh, and and it, it's also sort of sort of doom laden, I guess. But I I'm worried, is DC slated to become a new version of the platinum Platinum Studios? <laughs> you know, just a, a high profile IP farm for, for the next generation of blockbuster superheroes? I mean, it's kind of easy to go down this kind of wormhole based on the kind of decisions that uh you've described that DC's been making
3: yeah I mean you know m- maybe so um you know I don't think that uh I think that at a certain point they maybe decide that they don't need to generate new i p though right yeah, you know um uh. that's the that's the path that I'm looking at right now is that i frankly, I think that in a year or two at the most they're gonna go yeah we're we're not making enough money, this pivot that we made didn't do the thing that we thought it was going to do because it can't it never um could have. and and yeah right and so and so now we're no longer in the business of publishing comics we're going to license it out to someone um you know and and my understanding is is there there's already been a bunch of people sniffing around uh trying to get those licenses but apparently the licenses they're asking way 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 too much money at the ha, ha, ha. um that's that's what i hear uh you know but but we'll see but we'll see what happens in the long run right like you know and then the other question is is do they try to license it in the way that we understand what the DC universe is, or do mm-hmm. they try to license Superman to one guy and, and Batman to another guy, which would be a disaster?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, uh, I, know, I think. I, yeah, you know, I have one last final question here too, uh, actually, and Kate, if you have one also. Um, you, you know, if DC, let's say DC doesn't do the periodicals, I mean, do you think that all these new, I mean, there's been so many publishers who are using the the model that you've been talking about of, you know, the periodical driving the initial sales and then the collection, you know, like Aftershock, Vault, everybody mm. talks about TKL, yep. AWA, Bad yeah. Idea, you know, humanoids and heavy metal yep. have kind of got back into the periodical game. I mean, do you think that, that, that these publishers are going to be able to survive in the DM with their periodicals?
3: Well, not all of them, no, because, you know, at the end of the day, the periodicals have to be of a certain level of quality and a certain level of... Um, of creative intensity, right? And and I think that of you know of, of certainly of many of the publishers that you've named, I think that that we could all agree that you know maybe some of those books are not very good actually, and you know <laughs> periodicals that aren't good are not going to sell very well. I'm not going to name names, right? Because it's it's not that's not helpful to anyone. But if you if you have a strong editorial lineup. Uh, and you're and you're focused on what your goals are, and you're not just adding product to add product, right? Um, and also, most importantly, that you're that you're focused on publishing good comics first and foremost, and that any IP and things that happen after that are a consequence of you, you publishing good comics, not the, not the intent that you're trying to do. So there was at least one publisher that you mentioned in there who, who I'm fairly certain don't actually care about publishing comics. They're just looking to make an IP farm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that publisher and those publishers will probably not have long-term success because that kind of publishing has never worked, ever, in the history of ever. You know, um, you know. Once in a while, you get really super lucky to fall backwards into a multi-billion-dollar IP, and so then you can make it work. But for the most part, you can't. You can't generate. You can't. You can't out of whole cloth go. I'm making IP. That's not (laughs) how it works. The secret sauce is the actual content, not the not the the intent to have IP. And also, these publishers
0: don't publish superhero comics either. And how important is that genre to what you do?
3: Uh, I mean, it's it's getting less and less important every day. I got to tell Uh you, you know, whether that's as true for my peers, I I can't I can't quite say. Um, But you know, again, I don't. I, I think I said this in the column. I don't actually think that people care about superheroes very much as a genre. I I think what people like is they like the soap opera of the Marvel universe and the DC universe. This is the reason why, uh, for example, you know, Valiant has been trying for decades now to try and get, you know, a a whole universe of IP that, you know, and it doesn't work because people are like, I don't really care about the superheroes, right? Like it's not, you know, it's an an interesting metaphor, but it's not – it's not really strong enough in and of itself to be much of a genre. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not um, a, a superhero. I mean, a superhero could technically become, be anything, but not in the same way that a Western or a crime story or a science fiction story can truly be anything because, because superhero stories have to be rooted in superhero-ness, uh, <laughs> which, which reduces their um, flexibility, I suppose. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Having said all of that, I I have to say, I just want to really underline this. I don't think that comics are in any trouble at all. Mm -hmm. I think that the medium of comics has never been stronger ever and has nothing but a limitless future in front of it uh, because there are so many talented, amazing people who have really thrilling and exciting ideas. Um, and that are and and they're willing to work really hard to get them out there. Comics are a, a, a very democratic art form in that you really only need a pen and a paper to do them. Um, and and to get access to the market, at least as long as the direct market exists, is a pretty pretty simple thing to do that needs capitalization in the thousands, not in the millions. Um, and so for all of those reasons, I think I think comics as a medium. Are are in a great place. I think the direct market might be in trouble because of the various Jenga pieces being pulled out right now. Um, but again, I think that you're talking about a, a group of of, of entrepreneurs uh, who who really love the thing that they do. Uh, you know, I wake up in the morning so excited to go to work. <laughs> I, I, I cannot tell you. I love working. I love selling comics. I love doing it. And almost all of my peers are the same way. And so I think that most of them will figure it out. Will figure out the thing that they need to do. Okay. I'm sorry, that was too long of an answer. And I and I, uh, I right. cut well, off. Well, data, actually, that's a
0: perfect. That's a perfect point to kind of wrap so, this. This well, up. Well,
2: I actually have have one more question.
0: Go well, then. Go ahead. Then go ahead. Excuse me. Oh,
2: well. So. I'm going to ask you a a worst-case scenario, best-case scenario, given what has already happened with D.C. in the direct market. What is the worst-case scenario you realistically see possibly going forward? What's the best-case scenario you see going forward?
3: Well, the worst case scenario is, is uh, DC pulls out entirely. Um, they're not able to find someone else to publish their books in a timely fashion, uh, and that Disney also goes. You know what? We don't need the hassle of this. Uh, you know, it, we're, we're going to be with Warner Brothers. DC and Marvel pull out, the whole thing collapses because you know economically, you've just pulled the structure out of the building, um, and and everybody sort of goes their own way. You'll still have comic shops. Um, but we'll, instead of having two and a half to 3000 of them, uh, you'll have more like 200 of them. Um, but you know, we're almost at the point where almost I could survive without Marvel and DC almost. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, it would be tight and I would have to fire almost all the staff. Right. But I, I wouldn't have to close the store entirely. um, I can see a way to make that work, right? Like if you look at our Grab novel of the Month clubs, neither one of them, uh, is usually picking Marvel and DC books, right? They're, they're picking books from other publishers. So, so there's a path there. It's just a very narrow and treacherous one and a stupid one to go down when you have this thing that is economically functioning in a, at least in a decent way. Right, uh, the best case scenario, way. uh, oh, I'm sorry, did you want to follow that up on that?
2: was there? what I wanted to, to Follow
3: up on yeah, best case scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the so the best case scenario is um is that the uh, the the retailers in the direct market actually wake up, they recognize the threat and the danger that we're in right now, um, and they go, wait a minute, we actively want to step away from corporate comics and and corporate masters, right? And that we're much more interested in uh, selling creativity and art, and that generally means independent business people doing business with other independent business people. Uh, And that could really propel uh, this golden age um, for a lot of publishers in a pretty dramatic way if retailers start making those kinds of decisions. I'm starting to see it among my peers. I'm starting to see some people go – yeah, no. I realize now it's not a good idea to let Disney and AT and T control my fate. I need to do something about that. Um, and uh, you know, and so I think it's I think it's possible that that can happen, and and that can only help feed independent bookstores as well. As far as I'm concerned,
0: oh well, that's you know, because I mean that's, that's the path that's where of, the strength is. Yeah, yeah, and that's the path, and and that's what you see. We live in a time of where independent bookstores have never been stronger. Anyway, that's all for me.
1: Okay. Well, this is awesome, Brian. Uh, This is fascinating hearing uh, all of your thoughts on this. And, of course, you know, we've only scratched the surface. There's so much else to talk about. But, you know, Brian, I'm pretty sure that comics retailers, uh, they're very, very adaptable and per, per, um, what's the word? Uh, They stick around. They stick around. Uh, I'm pretty sure that. uh, Resilient. is yes, the word resilient, I think looking for. resilient. I'm pretty sure they're gonna find the, the right path forward. So Yeah. Just That's as perfect. you Yeah, well, more to come as we like to say here. So Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. This is really yes, Brian, awesome.
0: thanks so much.
1: Thank
3: you. My my absolute pleasure. Anytime you guys want to talk about the direct market uh or direct market publishers, I'm always available to you.
1: Awesome. Well in that case, as always, uh there will be more to come.